We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of In God We Trust, or Give Me That Primetime Religion, on September 26, 1980. It was written by Marty Feldman and Chris Allen, directed by Feldman, and released by Universal Pictures. This film was the second in a five-picture deal that director Marty Feldman had with Universal after the moderately successful The Last Remake of Bo Guest. Feldman passed away before the last three films could be made. In March of 1982, writers Mort Lockman and Ed Simmons filed a copyright infringement suit against Universal, claiming the film plagiarized from their 1971 script titled Albert. The case was rejected when it turned out that Lockman and Simmons didn't even own the copyright to their own script anymore. <laughs> Who did? Some other company that presumably could have also filed suit but didn't. Three months later, an unrelated suit was filed by Donald E. Westlake, claiming the film borrowed too liberally from his novel, Brothers Keepers, which was optioned for a year by Universal, but it expired by the time this film was made. The outcome of Westlake's case is not well known. We start the film with Harry Nelson's Good For God over the opening credits in medieval goldly font. Now I say good for God. Good for God. He goes and makes the planet blue. And all the thanks he gets from you is look at all that poo-poo in the yard. We see a sign outside the Trappist Order of St. Ambrose the Unlikely. Was this a song before this movie, or is it made for this movie? That's a good question. I have no idea. (laughs) On the roof of the church, a rooster crows into a tin can on a string, and we follow the string into the church to cans strapped to the head of a monk named Ambrose. I wrote a note about this, and I was like, the rooster crows, cause, crows, is that? Does a rooster crow? <laughs> I think it's. I think it crows. Yeah, I I agree. I believe it. it like, I, but I was really troubled with myself that I crows couldn't think. Crows caw and roosters crow. Yeah. <laughs> Why? What's the problem? And caws rooster. We all know this. It's a triangle. <laughs> and rooster cogburn. What? That's right. <laughs> Presumably, Ambrose the monk here is named after the saint that the church is named for. Ambrose sits up and says good morning to God before checking his pocket sundial to realize he is up late and he blames the rooster. He checks a mirror on the wall and jokes that he doubts he was made in God's image. I can't imagine you looking like that somehow. A banner on the wall reads, Money can't buy you poverty. Okay. Ambrose. It's <laughs> 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 barely, barely a joke. I, like, <laughs> well, coming into this movie, because I, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Uh, like many movies that we watch. I was hoping that there was going to be more stuff like this kind of questioning things like you know you made me in your image although i find it hard to believe that you look like this and yeah. things like it's like why do you need someone to tell you every day that they think that they thank you 
why do you need that reassurance? So I, are you so, are you insecure? I don't imagine that you are, but I thought, yeah, yeah, this is good. I, I kind of, I'm interested in, in these kinds of questions. And having the whole thing be like religious commentary. Yeah. And, and from and, a comedic perspective. And, and we'll get more of that with the televangelist stuff later, which I think is the best stuff of the movie. Yeah. Um, but it, this, this whole concept kind of goes away. Like it just turns co- into a fish out of water story. For yeah, yeah, exactly. I was like, I really want some more satire yeah. in this, and I was, I was, I was already on board with this. Yeah. yeah. Ambrose races to the rotating gate on the monastery to bring in the shelves where people leave food as a donation at night. I guess. Yeah. Also, I thought for sure that this was now. By this, I thought this was being set in like the 1600s or something yeah. like that. Because it's like, who wandered all the way out here to drop off this food? With a bunch of celery. They climbed a mountain with a stick of celery yeah. and put it on this shelf. Also, I was really confused by where here was. Because when he leaves, I guess we're in L.A. Yeah, I think he's been in L.A. the whole time. I think he literally, when he walks down the mountain, he's coming up on like Mulholland. Yeah. He walks over to a wire hanging out of a wall and he tugs on it. And then suddenly... With a comp shot, we can see through the wall in five circles of transparency as five sleeping monks with wires attached to their big toes are being woken up. Ambrose steps away and sees a sign that reads silence hanging at an angle, so he grabs a hammer and silently taps a nail to hold the sign up. But he turns to shush a fly and then smashes his thumb. Yeah, but the hammer's like wrapped in padding right. to it's prevent like a, it from making noise. But he's it's got a silencer on his hammer. Completely ineffective as a hammer. <laughs> yeah, but then when he smashes his thumb, he has to pick up the bag that he brought the hammer out with and pull it down over his head so that he can scream without making too much noise. He yeah. slides a table out of the wall under a painting of the Last Supper to reveal the legs of all the characters <laughs> in the painting, and uh, the monks all come in to have their breakfast. See, again, I was really on board. Like that that stupid slapstick joke with a hammer was like, okay. But then we get like this last last supper yeah. joke. I was like, okay. I loved it. I I'm loved so it. excited for this movie. Yeah, it's a lot of effort for that sight gag. An older man pulls Ambrose aside and gives him permission to speak. He tells Ambrose that he's proud of him for maintaining his celibacy, and Ambrose adds that he was celibate again last night with who? Myself. Three times. Oh, careful. Four would be pride. <laughs> He tells Ambrose he needs to send him to collect $5,000 that they need for the mortgage. Ambrose is being sent to speak with Armageddon T. Thunderbird to ask him for the money. While Ambrose is still arguing, he is being pushed out of the rotating door and swung outside the monastery. I'm a little confused as to how these monks know who this guy is. They don't seem like the TV type. Yeah. I'm not even clear who this older guy was because he never refers to him by any name. So he's just like the guy in charge of the monastery. He's just a leader. But I don't even know for sure that he's there 100% of the time or if he goes somewhere where there's a television. Ambrose tries desperately to get back in before hiking down the road. And he hitches a ride with Dr. Melmoth's traveling church. Yeah, there's a there's a couple like little weird little gags here, like the guy with the stop sign and the go sign. Yeah. Um, they When he gets onto the church... I was really confused. Because it's a church school bus. It's like right. a combination. But uh, what confused me was the direction they were traveling because they violate the 180 degree rule. Right. And, and I was just like, well, what happened? They're going the wrong way. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. No, they're not going the wrong way. They moved the camera to the other side for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, a converted school bus with a chapel on the roof and a pulpit sticking off of the grill uh, is labeled Dr. Melmoth's Traveling Church. Ambrose thinks that driving a church from town to town spreading the Lord's word sounds exciting. 
and they head to Los Angeles together. They start singing Onward Christian Soldiers together, which is the second time we've heard this song this year, after our Patreon review of MASH, where they sang it to make fun of Frank Burns. They park in an alley next to the Egyptian theater in Hollywood, and suddenly Ambrose is being roped into a televangelist show. Melmoth pretends to drop some money on the ground, and as Ambrose bends to collect it, Melmoth loudly shouts to the nearby people that he can't accept money for the miracle they're about to see. He says he doesn't have any special powers, but that the Lord works through him, and then he fakes curing Ambrose's ability to stand upright. And then he's like, all right, now get out of here. Now that you can stand up, run away. And he scares Ambrose off into the night before trying to sell levitating Lazarus dolls to the people. Yeah, but not before he pickpockets the the $50 that the the head of the monastery gave him out of his pocket. Yeah. So now he's he's broke. And and the running the running kind of gag of this is how easily the crowds are swayed. Like it's no one in the crowds is ever like going, "Oh, I don't believe you." you yeah. know, they they gather in in huge swarms because they're totally buying everything that these people are selling. Yeah. I think that the concept of selling religious novelties is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And these are all they're like spring-loaded dolls that pop up out of a coffin dressed like this biblical character. But the toys also have, like, pull strings that you can yank on to activate recorded phrases. Running away, Ambrose comes across a trench coat pervert in a photo booth. And the guy comes out with all of his naked pictures and shows them to people. But then he drops them when an older woman screams. So Ambrose now picks them up and is mistaken as the pervert. And is mistaken for the pervert by a growing crowd. So now they're mad at him for holding up naked pictures of a different guy. Yeah, well, you probably don't know because it's just somebody holding a robe open and it's not showing his face. But he also doesn't have a trench coat on and they're right next to the photo booth these things came out of, but maybe people don't realize that. He runs across the street to an all-night mass, but we see that there's curtains covering the the rest of the sign and it's actually an all-night massage. And as he runs away from that, there's suddenly a woman running alongside him shouting, Father, Father! I'm not a father! I'm a brother, sister! What is it you want? The sanctuary of the church, huh? And she hides under the backside of his robe, just as the police truck is rolling by. <laughs> this, I like this gag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's great. I'm surprised how well it works. Yes. Like, th- it seems like this would have been really hard to get. Yes. <laughs> to get this to work. But the cops stopped to check out this centaur-looking person <laughs> because the front half is marty feldman and then there's a woman under the trench coat who's bending down so that only her legs are sticking out of the back and it's a pretty convincing centaur (laughs) it was a horse yeah and they're they're able to walk and uh and he like stops and she stops at the same time like it's just well coordinated he whistles for a moment and somehow that signals to the woman to take him up onto her shoulders and they start walking like a nine foot tall monster the woman and ambrose stop for a meal Ambrose is mixing everything they ordered up into one big mess. There's a sausage dipped in a milkshake, and then he pours it over a plate of mashed potatoes while he's telling her about his inexperience with women. He didn't even know what they looked like until now because he'd only seen biblical illustrations with flowy robes. He could never see their bumpy bits before. Oh, you mean my boobies? <laughs> he offers her a bite of the mess he made, and she pretends to like it for some reason. He asks her what fornication is because the Bible says it's wrong but never explicitly spells it out. (laughs) She's teaching him about the phases of sex, starting with kissing, and he asks for a list of all the things that he shouldn't do, so she scribbles out 75 things not to do on a menu for him. I I think that this movie does a really good job of being thoughtful in a funny way about 
these things because yeah. him him saying well you know i grew up in this place i, d- I don't know what fornication is right like, you know and but he's curious and, and or i don't know what women look like I, it's just a, a funny and thoughtful way to explore how humorous this is yeah he walks her home and he realizes outside that he doesn't have money for a hotel and so she lets him crash on her couch he's hiding under the blankets because she's decided to take a shower with the door open so that he can see directly into the bathroom from his bed as she gets out of the shower she wraps herself up in a robe and tells him that tomorrow she'll take him to see armageddon t thunderbird and finally introduces herself as mary and this is too much for him so he has to rush to the shower and turn on the cold water because that's what the guy from the monastery told him to do if he ever felt urges he couldn't control the next day he heads to church and he waits his turn in the confessional booth next to the flasher from yesterday it was the same guy yeah Yeah. okay i thought it was as he tries to tell the priest his sins the priest's hearing aid falls out and is broken on the floor so he makes ambrose shout all his impure thoughts about mary loud enough for the booth to shake and for people to hear it from outside the church on the street this joke goes on for a long time yeah Everyone in the church watches him leave disapprovingly. Outside, though, he's applauded by the people on the street. (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) We cut to the sermon of Armageddon T. Thunderbird at the Church of Divine Prophet. He asks the audience if they love God, and when they respond in the affirmative, he suggests that they are lying because God is in the hospital in the ICU, (laughs) and they put him there. He looked so pale. (laughs) The audience is all crying now, and he tells them that all God needs to pull through is a pile of money, and then he collects it from the congregation. Money's flying all over, and the people are kept off stage by a security team wearing black biker leather with shiny black helmets, Heaven's Devils written on their backs. Mm-hmm. Also, the um, mailing address that says, send all of your belongings to... Yeah. <laughs> and it's literally just like Box 600, Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very vague address. Uh, The next day, Ambrose tries to meet with Thunderbird and is thrown out of the building. Ambrose considers getting a job with Mary, doing whatever she does. I could look into it. I'm very good with my hands. (laughs) The next day, he applies for a carpenter job making religious novelties. He's literally in charge of hammering tiny nails through little Jesus sculptures into tiny crucifixes. Outside, we see Dr. Melmoth filling a truck with the product. According to the box they're put in, this is the squirting model, which I hope means tears. (laughs) Ambrose tries to chase the truck down, but he can't keep up. He tries to mail himself to Thunderbird, but Thunderbird's identical twin henchmen toss the box out of the building, where Ambrose's head and limbs burst out of the sides of the box, and he walks away wearing it. Later, walking down the street, Ambrose chats for a moment with a street performer singing Pennies from Heaven. When he notices Dr. Melmoth speaking on the street, it sounds like a sermon from behind the forming crowd, but when Ambrose gets closer, he sees it's actually just a church-themed three-card Marley. He's like, oh, the Lord goes into hiding, and those who seek him will find him. Try thy luck. A lousy buck to find the Lord. Uh, Just before this scene, though, sorry to backtrack real quick. He's talking to Mary about getting thrown out, and there's this really amazing shot of them walking down the street, and you see the the, the office building for the Church of Divine Prophet, uh, and they're really far, pulled way far away from the building, and as they're walking past the building, a reflection of the church of a church is seen in the in the windows of the yes. building. Yes, yeah. And it's such a wonderful shot because it's it's they're super small on the screen, but mm-hmm. the 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 church moving across the building, yeah, like in just in just in like shadow or a refle- shadowy reflection, um, and where this building is, the LA Superior Court building, and the church is there. 
it is across the street from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so whoever scouted that location, amazing job. <laughs> Ambrose shouts that Melmoth is a thief and tackles him on the way back to the church bus. Melmoth convinces Ambrose not to fight him, but instead pray for him. Forgive him, for he knoweth not what he doeth. Forgive me even more, for I knoweth. Take that, monk! And then he punches him in the stomach. Ambrose barely jumps aboard the bus before Melmoth pulls out of the parking lot. On the road, they re-befriend each other, and Melmoth brings Ambrose on as a partner to keep the church running and to raise money for the monastery. Ambrose finds Mary on her corner one night, where she's negotiating with a cowboy in a convertible. He asks her out, and she says that she's busy, but when he walks away, she changes her mind to join him. The cowboy tries to drag her away, and Ambrose starts preaching at him until the guy throws him through a popcorn rickshaw. <laughs> it's just a... Like a vendor cart. A, a vendor cart, but it works as a rickshaw because he's stuck in it with all the popcorn around him, and then Mary runs and picks up the handles and runs away with it, carrying yeah. Ambrose to safety. <laughs> she steals this guy's popcorn cart. Yeah, I really wanted the guy who owned it to just be like, not again. <laughs> but that doesn't happen here. Back at Mary's apartment, she talks about a father that she barely knew, except that he had a tattoo of an angel on one leg and a devil on the other. Ambrose says he was left at the monastery with a note that said, Attached child is a gift from God. P.S. Please return to sender. Which I think means murder this baby. Right? Yeah. Why would you give it to a monastery if you wanted them to kill it? Mary invites him to stay in her room that night, and he runs back to the cold showers. This time, though, she joins him and turns the water temperature to hot. They have shower sex, and the steam from the shower fills her apartment, and it all lights up with this unearthly glow. Although the lights start blinking a little too early. Mm -hmm. Yes. So at one point it looks like a camera flash in the yes. apartment. <laughs> I was confused by that. Yeah. In the morning, he surprises her with breakfast in bed, but the breakfast is his weird soupy sausage ice cream. And <laughs> <laughs> this time with plenty of mustard, and she's full after a bite. She admits to him here what she does for a living. I'm a hooker. A harlot. I'm like a whore from your Bible. But he isn't surprised. He's worked it out now. Before he heads off to work, he tells her he loves her, and in celebration, she eats more of the gross breakfast. <laughs> we see Ambrose and Melmoth driving around, shouting to pedestrians through a giant speaker on the roof of the church. Hey, you! You two girls! <laughs> <laughs> it's just uh, Blues Brothers over again. Uh, but this is where we get my favorite line from the movie. Okay. It's like, the string cheese capital of the world. <laughs> and Dr. Melmoth goes, where there's string cheese, sin cannot be far behind. <laughs> <laughs> On a narrow street, they come nose to nose with another car, also with a speaker on the roof. It's mayoral candidate Dwork, and the two cars just ram each other head on a few times until Dwork's car crumbles in the road, and Melmoth leaves to collect a congregation for today's preaching. We cut to a bus full, and Melmoth is at the head of the church drinking out of a fake Bible. Suddenly, he conjures up a Moses puppet to address the crowd directly. He asks the people to join him in song, but the swaying of the congregation on the bus causes the parking brake to jostle loose, and the bus starts rolling down the street in what looks like Burbank somewhere. <laughs> but suddenly they're out on a canyon road as Ambrose jumps out a window to climb into the front seat of the bus to stop it. He can't get there in time, so instead he just climbs all the way to the top of it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, he starts ringing the bell like to try to... I get people out of the way, I guess. Or... I, I don't know if it's maybe a combination to get people out of the way or to alert the people inside yeah. that, that something is wrong. But the bus goes all the way down this dirt road and then off of a ramp at the end of a dock, and it barely misses some people that are hanging out on the dock, but then the church lands in the water of this lake. 
Later that day, Thunderbird's twin henchmen show him a news story about the mobile church in the lake. And in the story, we see Melmoth offering baptisms to the passengers as they escape the bus through the water. Thunderbird is excited at the prospect of mobile churches spreading his personal gospel nationwide. I didn't mention it, but Thunderbird's office is an Oval Office replica. Right. Mm -hmm. Probably just an Oval Office set that yes. they had access to. I was also realizing who he reminds me of in this scene, and it's Gideon Gleeful from Gravity Falls, yeah. yes. voiced by our friend Thurv Van Orman. According to the Disney Wiki, Gideon is based on televangelist Benny Hinn, but visually I would say that he and Thunderbird are a much closer match for American soul singer Wayne Cochran, who retired from music to run the Voice of Jesus ministry in Florida with his wife. Thunderbird moves from the Oval Office to a side office to confer with God, he steps up to a sink with three knobs, hot, cold, and holy, and he gets some holy water on his hands. He kneels before the Lord and asks his advice. Now, for this shot, he's actually kneeling and looking up into camera with a bright light mm -hmm. and asking the question directly into camera, and he's getting a response. Yeah. So at this point in the movie, I think he's actually talking to God. Yeah. He asks if there's someone who can help get the mobile churches running, and God suggests the monk from the news story on television. Ambrose brings Melmoth home drunk one day to Mary's place. Melmoth is having a crisis. His life flashed before his eyes in the lake, and he regrets the path he's chosen. Suddenly, Thunderbird's anonymous biker henchmen are at the door and drag Ambrose off to the Oval Office to speak with the man. Thunderbird tells Ambrose that he has the deed to the monastery, but that he needs Ambrose to run the mobile church fleet. This shot reminds me of Network, when Ned Beatty calls in the guy mm -hmm. and he makes like in a completely dark room where they're both just in a spotlight yelling at each other. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he says God told him to do this directly and God has chosen Ambrose to collect money for the church of divine profit to help the causes that Thunderbird has deemed worthy. We cut from the office to a pair of church arches over a sign that reads 1.4 million souls saved, very closely resembling the McDonald's billboards but in the, it's all on the front of Thunderbird's new tricked-out mobile church, which is just a very shiny version of the bus church that we saw. Ambrose preaches on the bus for a montage through Kokomo, Indiana, Oswego, Illinois, Paducah, Kentucky. Most of the city streets here are very clearly just the universal backlot that we saw a lot of yeah. in uh, Cheech and Chong's next movie and Nude Bomb earlier this year. Yeah, you see the clock tower pretty clearly in yeah. one scene. Uh, when he gets home from a long day of preaching, Ambrose surprises Mary with a new white silk robe, and she surprises him with a pregnancy. Unfortunately, Mary has not stopped smoking for the whole movie, not even for this pregnancy, a gross pregnancy habit we last saw in The Children. But at least that lady apologized to the fetus while she was smoking. Ambrose won't shut up about how great Thunderbird is, and even considers naming the child Armageddon until Mary and Melmoth break it to him that it's all a scam and that Thunderbird isn't really doing any good. Ambrose goes to see him, and overhears him conferring with God. It sounds like Thunderbird plans to announce a presidential campaign tonight, utilizing a $10 billion fortune and various congresspeople they control financially. As Thunderbird leaves, Ambrose sneaks into the God Chamber and finds the General Organizational Directivitator, a computer named God. Ambrose says he thought God would appear as a man with a long white beard, and suddenly Richard Pryor with old man makeup fills the monitor of the computer. God admits that he was not programmed with any morality, and Ambrose sets about converting God to Christianity by reading him the good book. This this part confuses me a little bit, because he he reads in the Bible. We cut back and forth a couple of times yeah. when, we're, when he's reading in the Bible, and 
God interrupts saying something like, oh, read me the part where blah, blah, blah. So he's like he's read it multiple it seems times. Like it's, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's read it multiple times and he's going back and going over it again yeah. or if God has read this before because it seems like the first time he's hearing it. So his reaction to be excited about parts, oh, I love the parts with the loaves and the fishes, seems odd. <laughs> yeah. He also seems really strange for this moment. Mm-hmm. Like when we hear him talking to the preacher before armageddon he's just like kind of very measured and normal talking but here he sounds like coked up on the bible like just super excited and he's going crazy with every little detail he's got like this really unusual toothy smile too like like he's almost like pulling his lips back to 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 make this smile yeah i don't know if it's because of the beard like they said you need to (laughs) smile more because we can't see your mouth through the beard yeah um but uh it's very strange i i there, there was again. There's, there's so many really interesting ideas in this film. Uh, I really like the when when he's asking about. I thought you would appear as a burning bush, or a guy with a beard, and and he says something along the lines of, "This is how I would appear today." Like yeah. like this is this is how an incarnation of God would appear to to deliver information. Yeah, it would be as a computer. Um, and I think that that's a really neat idea. There's yeah. so many neat things in this movie. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be sorry that I don't like it as much as <laughs> I want to. Um, because I think that this could have been great. But we'll yeah. get into that. <laughs> uh, back at Mary's apartment, she and Melmoth are watching Thunderbird's variety show, which opens with a song and dance, Happy Birthday, Dear Jesus, with lyrics like, God gave us his son for A giant glittery star lowers from the stage and opens to reveal Thunderbird inside. Backstage, Ambrose is telling God about his son. And then you had a son. I did? You did. Where is he? He went away. That's kids for you. <laughs> he does this really weird line. It kind of reminds me of this voice that Cheech slips into every once in a while. That's kids for you. It almost sounds like this stereotypical white guy voice, you know? Um, Armageddon, Thunderbird's presentation goes on. He's arguing for a third ultra-religious party entangled with big business possibly to be called god's own party in the upcoming presidential election (laughs) from today's perspective this seems very odd because one of our two parties is already the big business ultra-religious party that uses the initials gop but were things different in 1980 i don't know i think that's the joke though is it not well why is he saying it's a third party then well, it's. I think he's talking about it being a third party, but he's just. It's just. He's just pitching it. a party that already exists. Yeah, but you're splitting your joke. vote if it's a third party. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking of this too logically. Now that Ambrose has taught God the difference between good and evil, he coaches Ambrose through how to fix things. He makes Ambrose push a green button in his inner workings. On stage, Thunderbird reminds his congregation that they must seek God and hail God. Seek Him and hail Him. With an arm thrown up and a Nazi salute as they shout it repeatedly. One of Armageddon's biker henchmen catches Ambrose talking to God and relays the message to Armageddon through a cue card, which he reads out loud on the program before running to stop him. Melmoth and Mary see the chaos unfolding on TV and they hop in the bus church to help Ambrose. On the way, Mary notices his tattoos and realizes this is her dad. At first he's like, that's impossible. I've never been with anyone that was fertile. And she's like, oh, you're such a terrible, like, she calls him a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. in a row. And then he's like, wait a minute, maybe I am your father. That sounds exactly like me that you just described. 
Back in the god room, Ambrose is instructed to hit the red button. Which Why does he need anybody to hit any buttons? I don't know. but And this button has such a specific purpose that it's like, why did you put a button in this machine that tells your entire staff to take your money and dump it off the roof of the building? Well, I think it was just to execute things that they were putting into the system right. you know, uh, in another way. But it's like, either he's, I don't know. It's, it just seems like if you're God, if you're this all-powerful computer, I don't think you need anybody to hit these buttons. Two-step yeah. verification. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> or one step. But yeah, here's here's what he does. He pushes the red button, and then we just see a team of like policemen taking bag after bag of cash out of the vault and just dumping it off the side of this building. And I thought the m- they had good ideas. I see you like dumping it off the side of the building is not an effective way to redistribute the wealth properly. Yeah. Well, in downtown LA, it might be. <laughs> uh, the money blows up and down several city streets, and people are swarming to collect the loose cash. Armageddon instructs his men to apprehend Ambrose. And they put axes through the locked door to the god room. A second too-early-to-be-intentional shining reference for the year. We see the pennies from heaven street performer singing and shaking a top hat full of the cash he's collected. But it all falls out when he's, <laughs> when he's showing off the money he collected. So that was a bad choice. Ambrose knocks Armageddon to the floor and then races out of the office, grabbing the mortgage along the way. Armageddon goes in to scold God and then takes an axe to the monitor, which explodes and burns Armageddon's face in cartoon streaks of soot. A long line of church employees, on foot and in cars, chase Ambrose down the street, where Melmoth and Mary notice him. Ambrose steals a skateboard to make better time. Somehow Ambrose ends up holding onto the water ski bar hanging off of a boat, being towed by a car. Yeah, but also, where is this car going? I don't know. Because they... Right? They, first, first it's just going down the street and he's riding the skateboard like he's water skiing. Yeah. But then they go down into the LA River. <laughs> yeah. And they're like swerving back and forth over the water in the river mm-hmm. on purpose. And and there's some really interesting like rear projection that's going on with Marty Feldman. I don't know if it is rear projection. I, I, I think some of it has to be. I but, don't think it is. But, I think it's real. It, that's what I'm saying. Like it, I, 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 I don't know. Because the lighting on him is so per- match matches it I, so I, That's well. why I think this can't be fake. It looks too good to be fake for this time period. Th- there was one shot that I go, ooh, that looks a little bad. But but all but again, the lighting on him matches, and so right. I don't know how they how they did it if it was faked. He must have just been on a platform in the foreground. Yeah. That that things are being towed behind him, but even the shots like when he's climbing on the outside of the bus to stop it before it crashes into the lake mm-hmm. it's all actually marty feldman on the outside of a moving yes. vehicle yeah. over the road right? like he's doing all of his own stunts in this movie and some of them are really incredible yeah i think he gets swapped out for the beginning of the skateboarding portion mm-hmm. but aside from that he's doing almost everything that happens in this movie including like when he's when he's trying to carry drunk peter boyle into the house and he does like a backflip over him mm-hmm. and it's like he's actually doing that and yeah. Yeah. there's a very buster keaton feel to the yes the, right. the movement and everything I, I was thinking the exact same thing and i just i love marty feldman in this movie i think that his physical comedy makes the movie honestly i think that yeah. his ability to do all these things is, and he knows that is the too. best part yeah but this chase goes on for way too long. Yeah, it does. The, but there's also um, another stunt I wanted to mention here. We see the line of church cars driving down the street to collect him, and we see the twin henchmen standing in the road, and the cars are flying between these two guys standing yeah. in the road, like insanely close to them. It's a little sped up, but still like too close t- for comfort. Yeah, and the last car stops and they hop into it. But when I was watching, I was just like, oh, if I was those guys, I would be reacting differently to these cars being so close. Yeah. 
Eventually, Ambrose lets go of the water ski bar, and he crashes face first into a concrete wall painted with the phrase, The end is at hand, prepare to meet thy doom. The team chasing him all try to smash him against the wall at once, but at the last second, Toy Story 3 attacks. A giant golden hook from a chain drops into the shot and lifts him out before all these cars and motorcycles crash into the concrete wall. He waves to the crane operator, which is being operated by the old man incarnation of Richard Pryor, meaning <laughs> that this is very literally a deus ex machina, as the character of God is literally inside of a machine. Mm -hmm. Melmoth gives Ambrose a ride back to the monastery, where he gives the deed for the property back to the guy who runs it or whatever, and uh, then he leaves. On the church bus, Melmoth marries Mary and Ambrose, and to celebrate the vows, Melmoth plays the organ enthusiastically, and the parking brake releases again, sending the church bus down the old dirt road, presumably back into the lake. This was written and directed by Marty Feldman. He played the lead brother Ambrose. He is best known for Igor and Young Frankenstein, I would say. Igor. Igor. Is that what he says? <laughs> yes. He corrects people to say Igor? Well, he corrects uh, Gene Wilder when he says, my name's uh, Frankenstein. Yeah. It was like, is it Frodrick Frankenstein? It was like, no, it's Frederick. Why isn't it Frodrick? <laughs> <laughs> this was his final feature screenwriting credit. He had previously written and directed the last remake of Bo Guest. And his last credited role was as Gilbert in Yellowbeard. During the production, he had a fatal heart attack in his hotel room, and the film is dedicated to him. Writer Chris Allen, uh, co-writer with Marty Feldman, this was Chris Allen's last writing credit, and most of his credits were writing with Feldman. The DP here was Charles Carell. He was a DP on Animal House, Nice Dreams, Next Year, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise, and he directed 19 episodes of MacGyver and the TV movie Trail to Doomsday. Yeah. Peter Boyle was Dr. Sebastian Melmoth. He plays Joe in Joe. He also plays Joe in Crazy Joe. He also plays the monster in Young Frankenstein. He is Wizard in Taxi Driver. He was Laszlo earlier this year in Where the Buffalo Roam. And I wanted to comment on that because I feel like his hair is still grown out for that role. Yes, I think so. Uh, and he's obviously, he's in Johnny Dangerously and Everybody Loves Raymond. Louise Lasser played Mary. She played Mary Hartman on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. She's the voice of Doris, the phone, in Simon earlier this year, oh. which is kind of funny because I thought the voice was Madeline Kahn when we watched that movie, mm -hmm. who was likely on the short list to play Mary in this film. That would have made sense. I thought it should have been her. Yeah. I, I mean, she does a great job, but yeah, I... Yeah, no, no. I have no problem with her in this part. I just... It felt like it was written for Madeline Kahn. And I guarantee you he at least asked her yeah. to do it. Yeah. Because uh, Gene Wilder, uh, Marty Feldman, and Madeline Kahn were in the uh, Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Younger Brother yeah. movie like, together. And in I the feel 70s. Like, yeah, which was, uh, you know, Mel Brooks didn't... Gene Wilder wanted Mel Brooks to do it, but Mel Brooks said, nah. Yeah. Um, although Mel Brooks does make a small appearance in the movie. Um, so it felt like, yeah, it felt like Madeline Kahn should have been yeah. this person. Yeah, but she was too busy doing a one-scene cameo in Simon and Holy Moses. Yeah. Lasser also played Mona Jordan in Happiness, Violet, the Blue Raja's mother in yeah. Mystery Men. Yeah, I. that's where I was like, I was like, I know this face. Cause I just watched Mystery Men like maybe <laughs> like a month ago. And uh, it was her smile. And her smile like was a giveaway. I was like, that's the Blue Raja's mother. <laughs> <laughs> and she's also uh, Ada in Requiem for a Dream, 
Richard Pryor was God, G-O-D here. He's in Brewster's Millions, Stir Crazy, See No Evil, Hear No Evil, Superman 3, Silver Streak. Uh, his last appearance was on Norm MacDonald's sitcom, Norm, I just realized. Andy Kaufman played Armageddon T. Thunderbird. Though the film claims to introduce Kaufman, he did appear four years earlier, also as a character that can talk to God, in a movie called God Told Me To. I saw it at the New Beverly with an introduction from director Larry Cohen, and Lynn Margulies was there, who was his wife at the time of his passing. They were selling copies of the film on DVD where I got mine signed by her. She circled his face and then put his broad and then wrote her name. But just like when we had watched... uh ordinary people and judd hirsch was doing taxi andy kaufman was doing taxi yeah at the same time and so when you've been on tv do you still get an introducing for film i think so i mean if it's your first film i think so or if it's in your first few apparently yeah yeah. um you just want extra credit for having introduced this person whether or not it's technically their first one and he is terrific yeah yeah like i all the scenes for him were I, i don't know if he maybe assisted on some of the dialogue or what but it all felt just perfect for him to to speak it yeah and you'll be shocked to learn this but he stayed in character for the whole time on set (laughs) (laughs) that is just stunning to hear from Andy Kaufman uh what's interesting to me is like I think he was well cast in the role because he did it does everything right except for the fact that he feels too young for this character yeah maybe he feels it feels like a character that like this should should have been like a 40 or 50 year old guy yeah uh, most of his credits are obviously from SNL and Taxi, but he also shows up in Heartbeeps next year, and then as himself in My Breakfast with Blassie before he passed away, allegedly, of a rare type of lung cancer. Uh, his story is told in the Milos Forman film Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey as Kaufman, and he was due to be awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame this year, but the ceremonies have all been postponed due to COVID-19, so hopefully soon, because he's a funny guy. Wilfred Hyde White played Abbott Thelonious. Uh, he's Colonel Hugh Pickering in My Fair Lady and Crabbin in The Third Man. He was also credited earlier this year as Heavenly Voice, presumably Zeus's, in Xanadu. And he'll be back as Judge Thomas Miller in Oh God Book 2 later this year. So he has three films with gods in them. <laughs> Severn Darden played the priest who couldn't hear what was being said to him. He plays Culp in Battle 4 and Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. He's also Van Helsing in Saturday the 14th and Dr. Meredith in Real Genius. We had him earlier this year as the art professor complaining that black power iconography is not good compared to Guernica's broken hands in Small Circle of Friends. And he was also in a film called Why Would I Lie, which we weren't able to find for this year. But he'll be back as Maddox in our next title, Hopscotch, posting a week from today. I also think that he's got a great Slytherin Harry Potter name. Yeah, he does. Severn Darden. It's just like, yeah, that's that's an evil character's name. Yeah. Uh, Richard A. Roth plays a character. Uh, From this point forward, I can't tell you who the people play because in the credits, they literally don't have character names. They just... It's practically a special thanks column. They don't. They didn't give anyone else a full credit. But Richard A. Roth was in this movie. He plays Inspector Kemp's aide in Young Frankenstein. He's Moriarty's assistant in Sherlock Holmes's Smarter Brother, and he plays the prisoner rabbi in Johnny Dangerously. Barbara Ann Grimes was in this movie. She plays Mrs. Cardoza in the Hudsucker Proxy. She's the flat tire lady from Groundhog Day. Must be from the motor club. 
She's also Mrs. Kugel in Night Shift. Norman Bartold played a medieval knight in Westworld. He plays Ohio Tolls in Close Encounters, and he's the president in Capricorn One. Chuck Hicks was the paddy wagon driver. He played Frankie Irish in Hide in Plain Sight earlier this year. He was the cowboy rapist in Bronco Billy. He doesn't rape cowboys. He was a cowboy who raped women. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. And uh, I think the sheriff was the cowboy rapist, we decided, <laughs> from that prolonged scene that they cut off with Clint Eastwood. Right? Uh, he also, Chuck Hicks, played the corner man in Raging Bull and a fight spectator in Any Which Way You Can later this year. I think this was fun. I think that it gets lost in the middle. And I'm not sure that there's enough here to to call this a full movie. I like it. I think it has its issues. I just love Marty Feldman. So, sure. I, I mean, that does wonders for the film that he's in it. Uh, it I, honestly, I feel like it could be remade and a lot better. Like yes. there's so much here that I just, I, I wanted to, you know, like I wanted to, I wanted more of it and I wanted it snappy and fast and it, it didn't really do that, but I loved what was there. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes, the, the tell me everything about fornication scene that just goes on for too long, I feel. And then like the car chase scene goes on for too long. And there's a couple other scenes that I just go, I'm, I'm, you're losing me here. I'm losing some momentum yeah. in, in what you're trying to accomplish, with, which or what I think you're trying to accomplish is trying to be make make a joke out of... Yeah, a friendly of, satire of religion. Yeah, of religion. And, and there are so many good ideas that are just spread out a little too thin. Yeah, I agree with that. But I still enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, no, it's fun. And, I mean, Marty Feldman's, you know, pulling his weight. He's doing a great job. It makes sense that he had uh, this deal with Universal. I'm very curious what those other three movies would have been. Yeah. Um, well, I'm curious what the one before this was like. I'd, I'd like to see it. I do like that it was called the last remake of. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, there have been more remakes since then. But it's it was a story that had been made so many times on film that his joke was that the title would be the last remake of this story. Yeah. So just be like, let's stop with this one. This will be the end. But it's not even the only parody version of the story. So, um, But I haven't seen it, and it's probably worth checking out. Um, up or down, Jess? I'm going to give it an up. Of course. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, Richard? I'm going to give it a down. It's a very hesitant down. Um, I I don't know. It just, it just wasn't enough. And I'm probably going to have it much lower on my list than, than uh, you guys will probably expect. But uh, I feel that within, when it was good, it was good. But it, when it wasn't good, it was really not good. And I just couldn't get over that hump. Yeah. I, I think – yeah i i think it could have used a few more drafts um i think for me it's also a down um and that it's it's hurt a lot by the fact that it came out after holy grail and life of brian and these biblical comedies that really knocked it out of the park yeah and then it gets lumped in with holy moses and the other like almost mel brooks movies this is I think this is a lot better than Holy Moses though. I really didn't care for Holy Moses and this one I laughed. I I, I smiled I, throughout. So I felt like Holy Moses there was more happening and there was more going on and there was more work going into what was going on. It wasn't funny though. No. I guess it wasn't. I at least this one if it not laugh out loud funny was conceptually funny throughout. Yeah. 
that's fair. Letterboxed. Richard, where is this going? Um, I'm actually putting this right above Holy Moses. Okay. I did prefer this movie to Holy Moses, but they are right next to each other, um, which puts it just below Little Dragons. Okay. Um, at, at number 79, yeah. All right, Jess, where's this going? Um, I have it. It's towards the bottom of the movies that I would willingly watch again for the year. Um, it is below Xanadu and above uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. It is in 50th place. Okay, 50th. Um, I have it in 73rd place. It's two below Holy Moses. Um, and it's just between two all a good night and just above just tell me what you want. Mm. I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you would like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. And on that note, I'd like to give a shout out to Matt W77 for your iTunes review. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Hopscotch, which IMDb describes like so. Grounded with a desk job by incompetent superiors, a clever CIA agent retires and writes a tell-all memoir that will embarrass his bosses, prompting him to go on the run to elude them. We leave you now with the trailer for Hopscotch. Take a look at this man. You've seen him before. He used to be one of our best CIA agents. I could make a run for it, you know. Come on, Yaskov. You running, me chasing you, we'd look like Laurel and Hardy. And this woman, another familiar face. Her sharp tongue. Where have you been, you old goat? And her quick wit. You're insane. Made her a doggone good spy. But now, these two are wanted all over the world for threatening to sing about every secret they know. The follow says that a guy that looked like him crossed over into Switzerland a couple of days ago singing The Barber of Seville. Walter Matthau and Glenda Jackson are playing a game called Hopscotch. Good title. And from tall orders in Washington. I thought you were taller. I don't remember you being this short. How'd you get so short? High stakes in Salzburg. How much can you afford to lose? And fireworks in Savannah. This is the FBI. We've got you surrounded. You're shooting us. 8,000 pains and you hit one of them. They tie the CIA in nuts. Joe Cutter is tied to a chair in his room. You better cut him loose. Who is this? This is Eleanor Roosevelt. They run rings around the FBI and take the Kremlin for a ride by keeping one jump ahead of everyone. He is back in London. And your fly is to Martinique. Bermuda? To hide out in my house. I need your help. Oh, no. No, I'm very sorry, no. Don't look at me like that, no. Walter Matthau. I'd like to charter a seaplane. Um, can I have my clip back, please? Oh. Glenda Jackson. To need a scorecard to know who the players are. Even then, it's fuzzy. Herbert Lom, Sam Waterston, and Ned Baby. This is a mistake! In Hopscotch. I'm going to tell the truth. 
Nobody's had this much fun since the days they made house calls. I'm just trying to have some fun. We are both mad. Mad, gone. Bad. Bad.